So as we take this up, this section now comes, Paul and Barnabas have been sent out. This is what's traditionally called the first missionary journey. And this is where they go out, they get in a ship, and they go to Cyprus. But one of the things that's interesting as we take this up and begin to see this, though it was Barnabas and Saul who were set aside and sent out to go, um, the scripture tells us at the end of verse 5, and they had John to assist them. And so we hadn't seen much about John, and we didn't understand exactly where he came from or why he suddenly showed up and, and how exactly he was to assist, assist them. So I want to give us briefly a sense of, and we're going to follow, the journey of John Mark. And this is sometimes the challenge that happens in our minds. Sometimes the scriptures call him John. Sometimes they call him Mark. You may be more familiar with Mark since there's a gospel penned by him, it stands out in our mind, but it seems his given name was John. And when we see his journey, there's something that we can see in there that I think is both um, uh, heartbreaking as well as heartening. Heartening means emboldening and encouraging to our hearts. So the first thing I want to, the first time we're really exposed uh, to him, the scriptures tell us in Acts chapter 12, verse 12, um, uh, of the time that Peter was uh, in the prison. We recently saw this, and he came with an angel, delivered him out in the middle of the night. In Acts 12, 12, it says when he realized this, that he was actually out of the prison and not having a dream or a vision. It says he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were there gathered in prayer. Uh, further, there are some, now this is a, a small bitty bit of speculation, but in the gospel of Mark, when the Garden of Gethsemane takes place, there is a little tidbit that is in Mark's gospel that is not in any of the other of them. Which causes a few people to think that the little, little, little verse is autobiographical because no one else mentions it. And it simply says this in Mark 50 verse 52. Um, and they all fled and left him. Garden of Gethsemane. The moment of confrontation. Jesus fixes the ear back onto the servant. And then all of the disciples flee as they lay hold of Jesus. And it says this in Mark 14 51. And a young man followed him. Sort of randomly stated. Many believe that young man is likely Mark. And it is a valid speculation. It says, but with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. All right. So the, the sense of it seems to be that somewhere near the Garden of Gethsemane, just across the Kidron Valley, was likely the household of Mark and or someone and there's this commotion outside and here comes this fellow who's really dressed down for the night into into the most relaxing apparel that he could come up with and as he comes out it says and they seized him but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked so the, the sense of it is he comes out there, what's going on? And, and, and suddenly their attention's drawn to him and they try to grab hold of him. And they get a hold of, you know, like playing flag football, they get a hold of the flag 
And as he pulls away, the flag comes loose and he runs away. It's, it's a weird little tidbit there that nobody else mentions that is, is likely Mark, since Mark mentions it. This would not be something, if it were to happen to you, that you would soon forget. This would be, this would be one that sticks, because just re-entering the home is a bit uncomfortable. And everything associated with that. But noting that, that's, if that is an introduction to Mark, what we do see is that the journey of John Mark, it's a rocky one. It may indeed start with kind of this very uncomfortable exposure to, to a, 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 a more interesting thing. In Acts chapter 12, verse 25, now Barnabas and Saul have gone to deliver funds for the need in Jerusalem, and when they come back to the church at Antioch, it says in 1225, um, when they completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Further, it, it, we see that in, in chapter 13, verse 5, it says that they went and they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So far, it sounds good as they're getting ready to go back. And we also know from the scriptures, and you can, we can, we'll trace this out in, in a moment, that John Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. So there's already some sort of connection that is there. And so as they're back in Jerusalem, it would not have been uncommon for them to stay with relatives in that area. And as they're getting ready to leave, John Mark comes back with them. To Antioch, and then as the Spirit says, set them aside to send them out. John Mark is has not only come from Jerusalem to assist them in Antioch, but he's ready to now go and assist them on their missionary journey. Yet, when we get to verse 13, listen to what it says. They've gone through the whole island. They've preached the gospel. Uh, the governor of the area has come to faith. And it says, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. So they've now left the island of Cyprus. They've gone on to their next destination. And as they reach their destination in order to begin the next phase of their ministry, it says this, and John left them. And returned to Jerusalem. And I want to ask you this question. Why did John leave them? And I want to answer this for you. Before you dare to answer it. You don't know. And I don't know. And the reason why we don't know. Is the scriptures do not say. Sadly. If you go reading around in commentaries. You go reading around in Bible encyclopedias. You're going to find some fellas who think they know. They say, oh yeah, he was missing his mama. That's what some say that. Does, the, does it say that here? It says nothing of missing. Some say he might have been sick. Well, he might have been, but does it say he left because of illness? What does it say he was homesick? Uh, another group said, you know why he left? Because he disagreed that Paul and Barnabas were taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Okay, so then why did he go with them to Antioch? 
where the, where the church was significantly Gentiles, where among the leaders in the church were also some who were Gentiles. And this predominantly Gentile-influenced church is the one that set him aside and sent him out. So here's the point. There is no end given to men like you and me. Speculation that's just nonsense. If the scripture says it, then we know. If it doesn't say it, we don't know. So in other words, generally speaking, where the scripture speaks, oh, we speak. Where it doesn't speak, a little zip it, as we often say to the little ones, wouldn't hurt. All right? You can't generally say that necessarily to a preacher. You can't stand up during, zip it. It would be uncomfortable and inappropriate, though sometimes, wouldn't it be great? <laughs> but the, the, but, or he should at least say, this here is a little bit of speculation, but I'll tell you why I think it's likely, and maybe then they'll go on from there, that might be helpful to understand certain circumstances but we need to be careful uh, one commentator says like this and i think it's helpful uh, some think it was the fatigue of the journey others think it was fear of danger wearisome in his work affection for his mother or whatever it will be or a difference of opinion with the apostles the scriptures do not say the only thing that we do know is when he left it upset Paul. Paul now considered him unfit, unworthy, for whatever reason it was, not a good enough excuse. So if you still have your Bible with you, you can jump over with me to Acts chapter 15. Because sometimes it's helpful for us to, to, to see these kinds of things. Many of us who are here today would profess to be believers, profess to be Christians, right? And yet I might ask you this, have you ever had an argument, a disagreement, a difference of opinion with another believer? Yeah, are we somehow so spiritual and so sanctified that we will never differ, that we will never have words with each other? Does that happen? No, that's pretense. That doesn't happen. And here I will say this, we got Barnabas. Faithful man, isn't he? And we've got Paul, the apostle. Faithful man. Both very faithful men in many respects. Co-workers for a lengthy season through much trial. And yet in Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36, God's word tells us this. After some days, Paul and Barnabas said to, said to Barnabas, let us return. To visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord. And see how they are. Verse 37. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John who is called Mark. <laughs> right? So what, is, what happened the first time? They took John Mark with them. After the, the very first phase of their journey, what happened? He took off. He abandoned. He left. Now they're getting ready to go back through the area, back through the, those places. And Barnabas says, hey, got a good idea. Let's bring John Mark. And what does Paul say? 
Paul thought best not to bring with them one who had withdrawn. That is, carries that sense of abandoned them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with the work. So Barnabas was like, yeah, whatever, whatever mistake, whatever misstep that he had, whatever compromise, whatever weakness, let's give the brother another opportunity. Let's give him another, another chance to prove himself. You know, some time has passed since our first journey. Hopefully, we change over time. Hopefully, we grow over time. Hopefully, we improve over time. Now, I said hopefully three times there. Why do you think that is? Time does not guarantee progress. You and I know this. Yeah, right? Some people will say, time heals all wounds. Yeah, no. It's not even necessary. Time sometimes can alleviate some wounds. But sometimes, time just deepens the levels of resentment. This much time has gone on and they've not come back and made it right. This much time has you know, it, so time is never the answer. Don't attribute to time what we depend on God for. God is the one who heals all wounds. And sometimes he does, throw, does so over a period of seasons. God is the one who will help us get from where we were. And has helped us get from where we were to where we are. But I'm hoping most of you agree with me where you are right now is still short of where you would like to be. Still short of who you would like to be. You'd like to be stronger in the resistance of some temptation. You'd like to, like to have more control over your tongue and more control over your temper. Right? I mean, if you're anything, anything like me, then the, these are the realities that we know, oh, there's so many things that I want to see progress in. And, it, and as, they, as they reach the same, Barnabas is saying, let's bring him. And Paul is saying, no. He proved himself unfit. That's the sense of it here. Unfit, unworthy, not bringing him. Now, this was not just a small disagreement. Verse 39 of Acts 15 says, and there arose a sharp disagreement. You know, I, there's a big part of me that would have loved to have known all the details of that exchange. You know, you, know, you merciless, unforgiving, you know what? Who knows how? I would hope it was done in a more gracious tone than that. But the sense is a sharp disagreement doesn't mean that they were, all, they, they were smiling and talking with silk and sweetness. Hello, I disagree with you. No, it, a sharp disagreement carries what sense? Yeah. And yet these are men who had gone through so much together. And, and they disagree over this. And, and, and part of it is when, when you unfold these things, some people might prove to be unworthy in time. What's interesting is as time would go by, Paul would choose other men to follow him and help him and assist him. Men such as Demas that the scripture tells us about. 
And then he has to write and say, Demas, in love with this present world, has abandoned me. So what Paul learns and what we all tend to learn is, we do not know what is in another person's heart. We don't know. We don't know whether they're, they're going to have strength or whether they're going to fall back. We don't know if they've fallen back once before that this time they might not go a little bit further and yet fall again. Or maybe they'll make it to the end this time. We don't know. I hope you're catching something. As, as I unfold this, brothers and sisters, there's a lot in this world we don't know. And we've got to be way slower at, at having our presumptions and our doubts and negativity concerning people, others in particular. We often hold ourselves in higher regard. But uh, we've got to be more careful to, to recognize God's grace does have the power to change people, to grow people, to strengthen people. Now, I'm not going to say that Paul didn't agree with that. It just seems that his sense was, John Mark is not there yet. And Barnabas' sense is, I think he is there. And they, their disagreement was so much that they did not even go together. Barnabas and John Mark went one direction. Paul chose Silas, and they went another direction. And, and, and I would hope that for some of us, we think... How could it be? How sad, how heartbreaking. Yeah, it's not joyful. And yet, where Barnabas and John Mark went, it seems God used them effectively to build up his church, to encourage them, to strengthen them, to spread the gospel. And Paul and Silas, God used them effectively in ministry to strengthen and encourage. And so, remember this. Some people say, if we don't get along, if we don't do what we're supposed to do, God can't do what he wants to do. Garbage. God always can do, indeed does, what he wants to do. These people disagreed, they fought, they separated. Did that keep God from accomplishing his purpose to continue the spread of the gospel and the encouragement of the saints who believed? No, actually what men look at and say, oh, no, broken. God says, ah, no, no, no. Now I have two teams doing double the work. So, so do not understand. Now, I'm not encouraging you. Look now for opportunities to fight with one another. Because those fights are going to lead to great fruitfulness. I'm not saying that. No, no, no. We don't want to but cultivate that. And, and there's a sense in which I like these things because it reminds me of this. Jesus alone was perfect, flawless, sinless. The apostles, however privileged they were, they were men. We're reminded of how Peter compromised. It tells us in Galatians, right? Here we see Barnabas and, and Paul. And depending on maybe how you're wired, it's interesting to talk to different people. A lot of people are like, I totally, I'm with Paul on that. You know, Paul, you, you get tested, proven worthfulness. That's what we want to see. He's like, okay, well, that's reasonable. I'm with Barnabas on that. Mercy and patience to help encourage and get someone to move along. 
Well, ah! May God help cultivate such things in all of us and such care. But I want you to note this. Paul does say as he moves forward and he always teaches and preaches faithfully. Even as Peter always taught and preached, preached faithfully. Remember, the spirit would lead the apostles into all truth. So that what we have in scriptures is all truth. Wonderful. But their own activities, their own lives, he's not all perfect. And so here again, they, they have this. And, and I think that we're missing the point where we, when peop, we jump in and try to say, well, who was more in the wrong? Uh, that's not the answer. But Paul does say this later. He says, finally, brothers, in 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. That's good instruction. Is good instruction always easy to live? All right. You got a problem with somebody else. Live in peace. Did that help you? <laughs> Did that fix it? No. Many of us, uh, we, we can be in the midst of a conflict. Maybe even with a very near and especially dear one. That even happens. And we can know the absolute right thing to do. Do we do it every time? We know the absolute wrong thing to do. We know the wrong thing to say. And I'm so thankful we never say that. Or hopefully decreasingly so. Or more rarely. In 1 Timothy chapter 4. I, lo I, I love what's said as this unfolds. It says this. As Paul writes to Timothy, he says, where he's at now, uh, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful for me in ministry. Praise God, right? So at one point, Paul was saying, uh, -uh not gonna be a fit. But now as time has gone by, what does he say? The man is very useful for me. Praise God. I love that because that's something of the journey of John Mark. Paul's not wrong. He failed. He abandoned. Now Barnabas didn't seem to be defending that he hadn't abandoned or that he hadn't done wrong. Just seemed like he was more inclined being the comforter and encourager that he was. To bring him along and strengthen him. Where Paul was like, nah. Waste of time. Let's bring someone useful. But note this. You and I will along the way let others down. Get ready for this because this is easier to be aware of. Others will let you down. Right? Because usually when we've let somebody down, it's their fault. Yeah. <laughs> At least that's how we kind of twist things in, in our head. But we, uh, other people, will let us down. Shall we then hold it against them all of their days? Shall we resent them? Shall we define them and their entire existence by that mistake 
by that weakness, that compromise, that error. We, we don't want that to us, right? Because sometimes it's not a good day or not a good time. I don't know all that John Mark was going to going through. Paul does not know all that John Mark was going through. Mentally, emotionally, physically, whatever. He doesn't know. All he knows is that he failed. But later, the man who at one point I deemed not useful to me anymore, Paul now says, he's useful to me. Praise God for that. Now note this about yourself. If you know in your past you've struggled, you've stumbled, you've failed and fallen short, and sometimes you might start to say to yourself, yeah, God can't use me. I've proven my unfitness. Welcome to the world. Everybody proves their unfitness. God has not saved us because of our fitness. And after he saves us by his mercy in our unworthiness, we aren't suddenly perfect. We aren't suddenly without faults and without failings. Indeed, we still do. What about after 10 years? Done with mistakes and failings. Correct? Wrong. What about 20? Zip it on up to 40 years, 50 years. There's no point in this life where we are without failing. But listen, because we failed, because we've made even maybe major mistakes... That does not mean that God is not pleased by grace to grow us and to use us for his glory by his grace. Amen. I mean, think about that. And, and so I love this. Even it says this. Um, Peter writes, um, she who has at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends greeting to you. And so does Mark, my son. So here now is Mark helping Barnabas, coming alongside Paul, coming alongside Peter. Here is a man who had gone from seemingly, he proved too immature, too weak of spirit. Here's the, the reality. Because we don't rest in our strength, in our wisdom, in our ability. Moving forward as we seek to serve God, we do so step by step. God grant me strength. God grant me perseverance. God help me through. Because it is from you that come all things. From us will come struggles and shortcomings. Which is why again instructively Paul says in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. Now some might say. Like you were of John Mark. Before the second journey. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. Right? But listen. No one of the apostles lived it out perfectly. And nor do you. Paul didn't. Peter didn't. John Mark didn't. And if I had a list in front of me, everybody's names was here, I could read those off. If I had a list in front of me of everybody in Christ throughout the world, I could read all of their names off, even throughout all of history, because there's only ever been a one faultless, flawless. One without sin, without error, without compromise in all that he did. He pleased God. 
and that is Christ, which reminds us of this. Paul, Barnabas, they were not in their own ministries. They were servants of Christ. And so if it's their business, maybe they can, they can be firm CEOs. But that's not what we are. Christ is the head of the church. And so by grace, how do we want to deal with one another? Loving kindness, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And, and there's one more phrase at the end there. Forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. And it says also, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Also, these words in Colossians chapter 3 verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen. Put on then as the elect of God. Now, that phrase often was there for the Colossians and for the Ephesians. Stating as the elect of God. Because they were often reminded, what were you? God chose not many wise. Not many noble. Not many of high standing. It, the, the reminder of God's choosing was a humbling thing. It wasn't that I was better than everybody else and I chose the right religion. No, no, no. That's not what it is. It was I was as bad as many, worse than some, and yet God in mercy set his saving grace on me. And so he says, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. This is what Paul gets to. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you, you must forgive. And above all these things, put on love. So I like John, the journey of John Mark, because what does it show? People will fail. They will fall short of utter faithfulness to what God has called us to. They will fall short of the expectations of one another. But that does not mean we're beyond. We're not as sinners beyond the grace of God to save us. And now as saints, we're not beyond the grace of God to grow us. And to help us come past the failings that we once had. Praise God. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. Now, second thing I want us to do. Well, I guess I, before I move on from that, just want to note this. His name was John, which means, you know, given by God or God is the great giver. And then he was going to be called Mark. John Mark. Uh, and, and the name Mark means a defense. So hard to understand. Maybe Mark's the name they gave him afterwards because he would be a living defense of the grace of God to take you from what you were to what you will be. Maybe it's because Barnabas had to make a defense of him and his defense of, I think God has grown him and he's a wor worthy to come along, prove to be true. Whatever it is, an interesting change of name. In here also, before we move on to the second point, it says this in chapter 13, verse 9. It says, But Saul, who is also called Paul. Now, it's always fun to listen to commentators because, I mean, it, it's like comedy sometimes. Yeah, his, his name was Saul. That was his Jewish name. And then Paul was his Greek name, you know, Saul Paul, because they rhymed. Yeah, like John Mark. John Mark rhymes, doesn't it? 
John Mark means the same thing. They don't mean the same thing. They don't rhyme. So is it, that's not, Simon, Peter, or Cephas. Do those rhyme? No, oftentimes the change is descriptive. And, and, and it's interesting that it seems that the birth name that he was given, um, Saul. And probably some of you have not studied this, but it's, it's fun to note this. Saul means to be desired. Yeah, I am one to be desired. I am one that when people look, they want to be me. They want to be like me. And then Paul, do you know what Paul means? Small, little, insignificant. I think it's intentional. And I think Saul deliberately, he considered himself unworthy to be apostle. But God chose him to be. The chief of sinners, and yet saved. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the reason why he was called Paul is at his insistence. Don't make much of me. I am of little account. Oh, but the one I serve is grand and glorious. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. How often he introduced himself in those humbling, slavish terms. Now I want us to move on to the second thought. Not only did we see the journey in Mark and we see just the grace of God uh, um, uh, to grant forgiveness and to grant growth. But secondly, I want us to see the primacy and power of the word of God. I love what it says here. Um, in uh, verse thir chapter 13, verse 5. When they arrived at Salamis... They proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. And they had uh, John to assist them. In uh, verse 16, it, verse 6, it then tells us, They went throughout the whole island as far as Paphos, and they came to a certain magician, a false prophet, whose name was Bar-Jesus. Uh, he was with the proconsul, a governor, ruler of the province. And it goes on to say this, um, Sergius Paulus, Verse 7, a man of intelligence who sum, summoned Baal, Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Do you see what's, what's happening in each of these occasions? You know what they went with? The word of God. I, I, I like this because one of the things that I want to remind us of oftentimes, the scriptures do account for us occasions where Paul shares his own conversion testimony but i'd encourage you to read through and you'll note that most often when he did that it's because he was before rulers and governors and he was having to give a defense and an explanation but when he traveled around from place to place you know what he didn't come with let me tell you my story you know what he came with the word of god it was, let me tell you his story. Let me tell you about Christ and who he is. Because you know what? In order to be saved, you need to know who is Christ, who sent him, what he came for, what he died for, what he proved in rising again. You need to know who he is and what he did. And you need to believe on his name. You don't need to know my story. 
my story don't save you. Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ saves you. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a place for us to also share of the grace of God and how it's absolutely transformed our life. But what breaks my heart sometimes is if you were to listen to someone share, there's a whole lot about them and a little bitty bit about Jesus. And sometimes, and I've shared this in the past, it's even more heartbreaking as they will often be sharing their, their, their circumstances and what God saved them out of. They'll refer to the sins of their previous life. And it's delivered instead of with, a, with kind of a head down and a contrition, it's delivered kind of with gusto. Almost like, I miss those days. That's not right. And you've probably seen it and heard it. Whoa, I was, I was a sinner. I, 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 was a, I was a terrible sinner. In fact, I was kind of a ladies' man, you know? And, and, and they, it's like, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? Why are you going there? Why are you giving those details? Why are you unfolding this? Do you, do you want to keep focusing on that? When you tell people you were a wicked sinner. All the kinds of things that you do and that your heart desires to do. All the things that you see in the world, that was me. Pretty sure they can figure out the rest. But what they need to know is, look, what if their sin's not like yours? What if their experience is not like yours? Note this, even the child that grows up in the church... Even the child that does not get caught up in all of the wickedness of the world and the, the rampant expressions of their sinful heart is nonetheless what? Dead in their trespasses and sin. And need what? They must be born again. They need the Spirit of God to come to them and bring the life of Christ, making them a new creation by faith. Amen? That has to happen. And we should not pretend as though it's, a, it's somehow a greater miracle for God to save a murderer than it is to save an in, a, a child that grows up in the church. I mean, if we want to look from the, from the human perspective, Jesus says, look, God, is, I've come not to call the righteous, but the sinful to repentance. Sometimes it was those who grew up religious that did not think they needed grace, thought they by the way they lived were good enough. The answer is, no one's good enough. We, by grace, come to recognize our unworthiness. We're broken for our sinful heart's desire and the compromises we've made, and we cry out to God for mercy in Jesus' name. And so I want us to see that and, and not miss that. The primacy is in the power of God's word. And I love that this man, he sought to hear the word of God. I mean, that should be the thing. They weren't seeking to hear your story or your experience. They sought to hear the word of God. Now, that, that is the grace of God that's even working in Sergius Paulus that he has an inclination to hear it. 
Listen further. I love this occasion where it speaks of Jesus speaking, uh, standing by Lake uh, Genesareth in, in Luke 5.1. It says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. Isn't that beautiful? Why were they pressing in on him? They wanted to hear the word of God. This is one of the things that, that is interesting. Because when people talk about searching for churches and looking for what church they're going to be in. And when we go out to colleges that, that have uh, church days and have a table there. And we're introducing our church to the people who pass by. None of the people ever say, tell us about the preaching in your church. Do they preach the word of God? Tell us about your church. What is the commitment to the scriptures? They don't ask that. You know what they ask? Tell us about your college group. Tell us how big is your church. Tell us about your worship music. Tell us about your worship band. Tell us about... None of it ever. I've yet to be asked by any of them. Tell us about the preaching of your word. And actually, on occasion, we get the odd visitor who comes here and says, you preach for pert near an hour. How is that possible? Well, that's because we believe the priority is the word of God. We believe that it is the word of God that saves. We believe that it is the word of God that sanctifies, that's going to grow us and change us. The word of God is central to all that we do, and we are unashamed of it. And happily so. We believe in the word of God. And I love what it says here. Of him. It, it does say he believed when he saw what occurred. The blindness that had been passed on this man. But more than that. Look, what the, look at the words it says at the end of Acts 13.12. It says. For he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. See that's what God's word. God's, God's spirit does. It stirs up in people a desire to hear his word. Read an article many years ago about uh, churches trying to figure out ways to market themselves better. And the writer of the article says, what are we doing? Are we feeding sheep or amusing goats? The whole point isn't what the world wants. It is what the sheep need, what the children of God need, and they need the word. And more than that, not only do they need the word, they want the word. They desire it. You know, they don't often say, and it's one of the, one of the beautiful things uh, of, of the sweetness of, of this congregation. There are times at which maybe I get a little captivated and embellish and go a little bitty bit beyond the one hour mark. And I'll sometimes apologize after the fact. And more often than not, it was a don't apologize. As far as I'm concerned, you could have kept going or didn't even realize an hour passed. And then I, then I know that has nothing to do with me. That is the hunger the Spirit has stirred in their hearts for the Word. And we love that. I love the words that the Scripture tells us about uh, when Jesus was walking with those men on the road to Emmaus. You remember that? And they state these beautiful words as they spoke to each other after he had disappeared. And they said this, did not our hearts 
burn within us while he opened the scripture to us. See, so many churches are seeking to substitute some sort of emotional, tangible response by the music and the, and the mood lighting and all these kinds of things. And we do want to worship, worship God with, with the melody of our hearts and enter into the song. But people think that's worship. And now we have to endure the word for a little bit. And then we can get back to some more worship. No. The whole thing is worship. And, 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 and the richest, most powerful, most transforming part is that word. I would say this, why don't we pray like that? God, this morning, Sunday morning, I'm going to church. God, cause it to be that while your word is being preached, that I'd understand it. That it would just, it would enter into me and it would ignite me. That it would light my heart aflame and that it would burn within me. Do it, Lord, please. By your word, not by other supposed means, but that which really abides. I love that he was astonished. He was amazed. He was struck. He was overwhelmed by the teaching. And the scripture says that a number of times of the teaching of Christ as well. Move on thirdly. Look what it says here also. As he's speaking to Elimus the magician. Where Note this. Uh, considering the straight paths, wherever the word is, and we've talked about the primacy of the word, wherever the word is, there will be the wicked opposing it. That's the way it is. The world does not like the word of God. They want to oppose it. And one of the best ways to oppose it is just to twist it and tweak it to mean what we want. So that it satisfies our sinful heart's desire. Listen to, as he's trying to turn the pro-counsel away from the faith. In verse 9 of Acts 13. Saul, filled with the spirit, looked at him and said this. You son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy. Will you stop, not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? I just want us to, to note this in here. Stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. The scripture's teaching are abundantly clear. And it says paths in the plural because it will point out multiple truths to us. They're not on different paths, but they're in this circumstance. How do we respond? In this circumstance, how do we think? In this occasion, what is right? And the scriptures lay out for us those paths in all of the different circumstances of life. And they're not variable. They're not unclear. There's not multiple paths in this situation. There's not multiple ways. There's not multiple ways to be saved. There's one salvation. There's one savior. We live in a world rampant all kinds of different doctrines. We got to commit ourselves to the word of God and not say he believes, she believes, they believe. But the scripture clearly teaches Enough clinging to merely our traditions. Let us grasp unrelenting, unrelentingly and seek unabatedly the revelation that God has given us in his word. Make straight the paths of the Lord. What's, uh, 
so important to see. It says this um, in Hosea 14, 9. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. And whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. Again, it says ways of the Lord are right. All that God says with, with regard to anger, with regard to truthfulness, with regard to purity of our bodies, with regard to uh, uh, lust, with regard to uh, salvation, all that God says, it's right. I mean, that's the, it's the most simple language possible, right? What the Lord says, it's right. Now, if that's right, do you know what every other way is? Wrong. And it goes on to say this, and the upright walk in them. What is them? The Lord's ways, not our own ways. We don't lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways, we acknowledge him and he will direct our paths. You know, which gets concerning. Even churches have often diminish into kind of circumstances where they gather together little groups and they say, you know, read a passage of scripture. So what do you think about this? And what is your feeling about this? What? Individual thoughts and feelings are not the most relevant reality. What's the relevant reality? What does it say? What does it mean? And then we go around and say, what are some ways that we'll live this out? In your life with what's going on. In your circumstances with where you are. How are you going to apply this? And its application may vary. And we can weigh in on those kinds of things. But what it means. Is straight ahead. And I love that about God's word. But it says. But transgressors stumble in them. In Acts 20 verse 30 it says. From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. They take what is straight, and they're not just saying another thing. Because if they say a completely different thing, then what happens? We know that. We pick up on that right away. That's a completely different thing. That's utter nonsense. But if they say something that starts out in a verse, what happened? Well, that must be true. I mean, they, they quoted a verse. No! Is what they said what the verse said? Be careful. Because that's the skill of these individuals. Is to twist things. Distort things. The scriptures even go so far. For example in Jeremiah 23. People were saying I have a word from the Lord. The way that they would say it in those days is. The Lord has given me an oracle or a burden. He's, the Lord has laid this word on my heart for you. Well, that, I guess I can't say anything now. I mean, what do I do? Well, God says, no, I wasn't. You shall not, he's telling them, you shall no longer mention no more the burden of the Lord. Because every man's, for the burden of the Lord, as you say it, is every man's own word. And in other words, you want to know why that was on your heart? Because of you. Don't think that everything that comes to your heart and mind is somehow the perfect power of the Spirit. A lot of it's just you. And he goes on to say, every man's own word, you pervert the words of the living God. Ooh, such strong language. 
that is given there. I love what it says in Jeremiah chapter 6. The Lord says this. Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths in which the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. Pretty simple, right? And this is one of the beautiful things about this. He tells them, stand there, ask for the ancient roads. Look, truth doesn't change. The gospel's not going to change. People keep talking about, well, what's the church going to have to do to be relevant today? Here's the answer. Stop trying. Stop trying to be relevant and start preaching the word again. The goal isn't relevance. The only way that we might see reformation and revival is to declare the word of God. Oh, that they would do that. And what's scary about this, he says, stand and look. That takes deliberate, intentional effort, right? Stand and look and ask. Get involved. And then walk in it. Find rest for your souls. The scripture says in Jeremiah, but they said, yeah, we will not. He says, I set a watchman for you saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpets. And they said, we will not pay attention. What? You're going to bring yourself under judgment. We do the same thing. Pay attention. This is truth. Walk in it. Believe it. Live it. Society may redefine relationships. Redefine marriage redefined gender, redefined all kinds of things. Was, you can't just make your own definition. Truth is truth. Lies are lies. Sin is sin. And he says to this individual, regarding his sin, the strongest language in verse 10, you son of the devil, enemy of all righteousness and full of all deceit and Villainy. So we just want to, the simple thing today, and I'm going to wind up with the, just these three, even though we had a little more we could have done, we'll take that up next week. One, the journey of John Mark. Will men fall short? Will you fall short? Does that mean you're now permanently disqualified? No. The grace of God that saved you from your sin is a grace that continues to be poured out upon us abundance and help us to continue to make progress. Be careful. Let us not judge our brothers and sisters in Christ too harshly because some stumble in ways that we didn't. Some struggle in ways that we didn't. But note this. We've stumbled in ways they haven't. And the grace of God is what we needed on day one. And the grace of what God is what we need every day until we see him face to face. Unending, abiding grace until we are made absolutely like him, renewed entirely. So we see the wonderful journey of John Mark. The second thing that we saw as we unpacked this was the primacy and power of the word he was converted that day because he was astonished at the teaching of the word. We've got to again have the primacy and believe in the power of God's word. That's why it tells us in, in Romans, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. We've somehow pretended the power is in something else. The power is in surprises and gifts 
and promises. The power is in the word of God. And thirdly, the straight paths. Where the word is, there's going to be twists. There's going to be perversion. There's going to be wicked. But we want to see where the straight way is. We want to walk in it. And that's the same way that it has always been. The word, I love, that's why it says, the word of the Lord. The word that was delivered by the Lord, that's not going to change. It's not the word of Christians. It's not the word of the church. It's the word of the Lord, which is an unchanging, abiding, and eternal word. Indeed, heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will never pass away. Let's pray. God, we are just a blessed people to be able to have your word available for us to have it in our own hands, have it in our own homes, to be able to read it, to have the freedom and privilege to gather together and hear it preached and taught and worship you and praise you in song. Oh God, we thank you that we do know that in this world there will be uh, efforts of the enemy and of the wicked, but we understand that in the midst of all these things, God, you are greater, you are stronger, we give you all praise and glory, and we do acknowledge you are our hope, our strength, our deliverer, our salvation, and our mighty fortress. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.